and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. This week on Polygamer... It's a space where many people have never been in an industry event where they see people like them, you know, where people that are genuinely interested in who they are as a person and what their identity means to them. And that's so fulfilling. That's Ash Dryden, creator of AlterConf, a traveling conference series that provides safe opportunities for marginalized people and those who support them in the tech and gaming industries. AlterConf was founded in 2014, just around the same time as Polygamer, and I attended my first AlterConf when the event made its debut in Boston, Massachusetts on September 15, 2014. I was excited to see Polygamer alumna Khadija Marenka present there, as well as several other fascinating speakers who gave talks on topics that go beyond Equality and Diversity 101. In fact, that's one of the goals of AlterConf, is to elevate the discussion beyond the basics, the sort of things that you can find out by Googling or reading a book. And the individuals that AlterConf recruits to give these talks are almost exclusively marginalized voices. There have been roughly a dozen AlterConfs since that first one. And earlier this month, I received an email update informing me that AlterConf was going international. Previously, it had been exclusively a United States event, with one exception in Toronto, Ontario. Now we're going to see it coming to the Netherlands, Germany, Ireland, Australia, England, India, France, Austria, and Quebec. I think it's very exciting to see an event like this expanding so much, and I wish there were more events like this. Last summer, I decided that my gaming budget was such that I could travel to one out-of-state gaming conference, and it had to be either PAX Prime or GamerX. Now, PAX already has multiple locations. There's PAX West, PAX South, PAX East, which I go to every year because it's in my own backyard of Boston, and Finally, also PAX Australia. Now, GamerX, at the time that I was making this decision, had only the single event. And I think there need to be more growth opportunities for the smaller spaces that promote equality and diversity, as opposed to the larger, more problematic events like PAX. I chose to go to GamerX, had a great time, and they have since announced that they are expanding to Australia. So that dream is being realized. AlterConf is an event that has been fighting that fight for almost two years now. Now, even though AlterConf does travel to its attendees and its participants, that doesn't mean it's necessarily restricted to the many diverse geographic locations it travels to. You can watch almost all the talks right on their website, which is alterconf.com. So on this week's Polygamer podcast, I'm speaking with Ash Dryden about the evolution of AlterConf and how it has to change to accommodate an international audience what sort of policies and code of conducts it requires and has in place, and how it affords to be in so many locations and recruit so many talented speakers. I'll also be speaking with her about another project she recently announced called The Fun Club, which you can find at joinfunclub.com. There will be links to all these resources in the show notes at polygamer.net. Or use our URL shortener to go specifically to this episode, plyg.me slash 38. That's for episode number 38. Full disclosure, Polygamer was a sponsor of the initial AlterConf in Boston. You can find that clearly cited right on their website. And I suspect before long, I'll be supporting Ash herself. She doesn't have a Patreon, but she has something similar on her website, ashdryden.com. And who knows, if the fortunes smile upon me, maybe I'll join the fun club as well. In the meantime, if you want to attend an AlterConf yourself, your next opportunity is this coming weekend. This episode airs on Wednesday, January 27th, and the next AlterConf 
is Saturday, January 30th, 2016 in Washington, D.C. Of course, this weekend is also the annual Global Game Jam, as we discussed in the last episode when I interviewed Carolyn Van Esseltine. So whether you are a developer, a speaker, an attendee, or whatever, this coming weekend is going to be a busy and great opportunity to support the gaming industry and the gaming community and your peers. Of course, you're already doing your part by supporting Polygamer, so thank you so much for listening. Today I'm chatting with Ash Dryden, creator of AlterConf. Hi, Ash. Hi there. How are you today? Doing well. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. So I already gave our listeners a brief summary of AlterConf, but just to make sure I got it right in your own words, what is AlterConf? Yeah, it's a traveling conference series. It hits a different city every month uh, between 9 and 11 uh, conferences a year um, that centers marginalized people and gives them a stage to talk about awesome projects they're working on, their experiences, or things that they'd like to see change in the tech and gaming industries. So it's not exclusively gaming. It's all of tech. Exactly. There's a lot of crossover and overlap. Uh, so I wanted to be able to represent both communities since so many of the problems that uh, we have on either side plagues the other. That's true. A lot of people, when they hear that I do a show like Polygamer, they think, gee, if I was interested in feminism, I wouldn't think gaming would be the most important field in which to address it. They would go after something like politics. But gaming is just a microcosm of issues that are being faced in other industries like tech at large. Absolutely. So AlterConf has now been around for a couple of years. It was founded in 2014, is that correct? Yeah. And we're now in 2016, so the event's been around for about a year and a half, two years. How has been the reception to AlterConf? It's been really awesome. Um, it's been great to see so many different kinds of people uh, be able to talk about things that they're passionate about or things that they've been thinking about. And I'm always surprised at how happy people are that they attended, how much they learned, how much I learn every single event. Um, so it's been really rewarding for me. You're surprised at how happy people are to have attended? <laughs> I'm not surprised how happy they are. I mean, I'm... Uh, I don't know. It's something that I work really hard on, um, and it's always awesome to see people love something that you make. Yes, that is the, one of the most rewarding experiences there is. Do you ever have trouble finding speakers for all these events, especially when you're going into a city where you don't have a background or connections? Every now and again, we do. Um, after the first few events that we had, uh, we started uh, incorporating what we call ambassadors. So there are people that uh, live and work in the community that we're traveling to. They have good community ties to tech, gaming, or both. Uh, and uh, they help us reach out to communities where we may not otherwise be heard. So uh, one of the big things about AlterConf is having as wide a range of voices and experiences represented as possible. And because the organization is run by me, um, a relatively privileged uh, white queer cis woman, um, I want to make sure that everybody's voices um, have the opportunity to be heard. So that means that finding people where they are, uh, getting people interested, and uh, helping them come to a place where they feel that they can contribute something. And it seems like you target cities that tend to be sort of tech hubs. I know that there's a lot of tech, for example, in Seattle, Boston, New York City. And then you have a few that might not necessarily pop to the top of my list, like Atlanta or Detroit. Yeah, we actually uh, didn't go after ones that we knew were uh, or, th or thought about specifically that they would be big tech hubs. Um, 
the early cities, at least, were places that I had really uh, strong connections there that I knew that there were really awesome voices that I wanted to be heard and I wanted to create an event um, where that they could speak. But now it's kind of hitting people where they are. I mean, the big part of UltraConf is many marginalized people don't have the time, the money, or the means to travel to conferences. So we bring the conference to them. So it's going to places where you don't normally see tech or gaming conferences. So everybody has an opportunity to participate. I think it's great that you bring the conference to them because there are more and more iterations of events like PAX and GamerX, but they're still fairly limited. For me, for example, to attend GamerX, I have to fly at least 3,000 miles, which not everybody can do. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, many people um, can't take the time off of work. They have, you know, children or other loved ones that they have to care for. They don't have the money. There are a lot of things that prevent people from attending those things. So it's actually cheaper on scale for us to travel to people than to expect 200 people to travel to us. And who would you say is your target audience for these events? You're not necessarily going into a tech environment, for example, like a corporate environment where there is a predominantly straight, white, cisgendered male community and then preaching to them about diversity. You seem to be attracting diverse audiences. Is that correct? Yeah, we are. So our first focus with everything we do is centering marginalized people. Um, And because there's always something that we can learn from each other, uh, the the attendees tend to be people who are interested in learning more and interested in making the industries better. So we actually have a really wide range of people in our audience. While the vast majority of our speakers are all marginalized people themselves or our freelancers are marginalized people themselves, the uh, attendees and the volunteers are a good mix of people from all walks of life. When one marginalized group talks to the other, do you feel that that is preaching to the choir? It can be. I think that there are there's always uh, someone's perspective that gives you different ideas about how you can critique your own experience or the ways that you act or uh, the things that you see in media. Uh, so I think that uh, even when it's someone like you who's up in front of everyone, there's still something to be learned. Because one of the challenges I face with this podcast, for example, is that most people who want to listen to a podcast about diversity are those who already value diversity and know of its importance. It's not necessarily people who need to be listening to a podcast like this. And I'm wondering if AlterConf is hitting the people who need to be hearing its message. That's a good question. I think that it's a little bit of both. I think that many for many people, when they hear about diversity, it means... Um, almost specifically women, and even more to the point, white, straight, cis women. So the fact that they're hearing different kinds of people and they're being exposed to different things means that they can expand their understanding of what diversity is. And to your point, we we don't intentionally go after people who aren't at that 101 place. Like we specifically say about AlterConf that it's a place for 201 and beyond conversations. So we're looking for people who have a basic understanding of what the issues are out there and want to learn more. But there are very few places right now, um, especially conferences where people can learn more, whereas we're seeing more uh, industry conferences that are featuring some talks about diversity, but they're often 101 level. I totally agree with that. And I have, I don't know if the right word has been guilty of that. At PAX East, I moderate a panel on feminism and gaming. And that's one aspect of diversity, which has been very much in the news in the past few years, but it overlooks a lot of the intersectionality that you're discussing. 
Exactly. Um, and, and like I said, I mean, the, the issues that individuals face is very different. I mean, even when you look at uh, a speaker uh, who speaks in Seattle, uh, their experiences, even if they're in the same identity group as a speaker in Atlanta, may be very different. And they may be very different from the experiences of somebody in Mumbai or South Africa. And AlterConf is now going after those audiences as well. You are expanding on a global scale. Yeah, exactly. I'm really excited and nervous about it. Uh, this is the first project I've ever worked on that's uh, ever gotten to be something this big. So like I said, we travel to a different city every single year. And we uh, went to Canada last year because um, we're US-based. But next year, we're doing South Africa, Eastern Europe. Um, we're doing Mumbai and uh, Australia. We're hoping to add some cities in South and Central America and uh, potentially add something in Lagos and Nigeria. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of unreal. Um, and there are a lot of extra challenges that come with doing something on a global scale, especially when you consider the fact that I speak English and Spanish at about a kindergarten level. <laughs> so um, there are a lot of different things that we have to keep in mind when it comes to um, custom fitting AlterConf to what audiences in other countries um, need and want. Now, I imagine that there are, of course, a lot of logistical challenges. For example, you're probably not even going to be seeing the space in which you'll be hosting the event until a day or two before. You're not going to be making a separate trip out there to scope it out. Absolutely. And many I mean, in countries where the dominant language isn't English, the program itself won't be English. Uh, so in many cases, we won't even be able to um, understand what the speakers are saying. Uh, but we are focusing really on, like I said, we center uh, marginalized people and their needs in everything that we do. And part of that is as Americans who are very dominant when it comes to tech and gaming culture and media and culture as a whole, we want to make sure that we we're not bringing requirements because of our being Americans, because of our not speaking, uh, you know, German or, you know, whatever other language. We want to make sure that people can, we can meet people where they are and that they can have an experience that's as least amount of stressful for them as possible. But at the same time, how do you make sure that what you're bringing to these international audiences isn't necessarily American values because their culture might be very different? Oh, absolutely. Um, so for all of our um, American and Canadian events, uh, the people who have chosen the talks are not me. I anonymize all the talks uh, and I give them to a panel of our former speakers. So they go through and they choose the talks. For our international events, we have to do something a little bit different because in many cases, we're only going to one city in each country. So that means that we have to put together a panel of um, people who will be choosing the talks based on what is relevant um, and important to people who live in the area, not somebody who's coming in with American sensibilities. AlterConf brings all these different groups together, uh, different marginalized or intersectional groups. And I attended one and it was a fantastic opportunity to hear from a lot of different demographics I, I unfortunately don't often see on stage. Does that necessarily mean, though, that mainstream speakers are not being solicited? For example, I often see calls for speakers at AlterConf and you're looking specifically for marginalized groups. Does that mean that if I submitted a talk as a straight, white, cisgendered male, that I probably might not make the final cut? 
You wouldn't. Um, because there are so few places in the industry um, that uh, try to be inclusive of marginalized people and give them that experience, very many marginalized people have never spoken before. So we want to make sure that we're giving them the space to have their voices be heard in the manner that makes the most sense to them. Um, and because there are so many places for more privileged people to have that opportunity, there we you know welcome them to come and listen and participate in discussions, um, but uh, they won't be taking up stage time, no. I think that's great because I've had the very good fortune of being able to speak at events like PAX and GamerX, and I, I certainly don't need to be moving into UltraConf as well. One of the reasons I do Polygamer is because I think one of the best things that people in my privileged demographic can do is just shut up and listen, and I appreciate that UltraConf is an opportunity to do that. Yeah, and I mean, I spent uh, the past two or three years traveling almost full time speaking at conferences. So UltraConf was kind of my way to repay that, right? Like I, I have gotten more than my fair share of stage time. So now I can use my platform to give that time and that space to other people. In a way, UltraConf and Polygamer are trying to do the same thing, but in very different media. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like that. So one challenge that I've had with approaching diversity and coming to understand it is that, as I've said, I'm coming from a privileged background and perspective, and I do my best to understand where other people are coming from before I even go into the conversation so that I'm not wasting their time and I'm being respectful of their time, uh, because it's not a marginalized individual's responsibility to educate others about what it means to be marginalized. But at the same time, they are the only individuals who can speak from their own experience. So, for example, I'll try to do my best to read the literature on Feminism 101 so that somebody doesn't have to explain to me something that can be easily Googled. But at the same time, if I want to ask somebody, you know, why did you found this uh, educational program for marginalized groups in New York City, for example, to learn programming, there's very few people who can speak to that specific experience. So what is reasonable to expect other people to help us understand? Because that's kind of what AlterConf is hoping to do. In a way, um, I like to think of AlterConf as a medium where people can speak their truth. Uh, very, um, very often, marginalized people's voices and their perspectives are drowned out by everything else that's going on. Um, or questions are asked um, that seem combative or um, not really furthering the discourse. So AlterConf gives them that opportunity to speak their truth um, and to say it out loud and to know that that's a space specifically for them, specifically for that, a safe space where they can do that and they can further that discussion without worrying about um, having to explain individual nuance to people who aren't familiar. Um, to your question about, um, you know, marginalized people are the best to speak from their own experiences. I absolutely agree. And I think as more privileged people, it's our duty to sit back and listen. So because we are being gifted uh, this time where these speakers are, you know, coming up and talking about something that might be really heartfelt or really hard for them. Um, our duty then is to listen, like to, to be the ship that carries that along the sea for them uh, and to learn and to help make things better from that. So we think that I personally appreciate a lot more of that. Um, I don't want to say passive learning, but um, receptive listening, right? Like we're, we're listening with our whole bodies to what somebody is saying and how they're saying it. And I would hope that if somebody has gone through the trouble of registering for and attending an altar conf, that they are there to listen and be receptive to what they're being exposed to. 
Yes. And I, I don't think that we've, um, to my knowledge, we haven't had any issues where um, somebody has attended and not been aware of what um, the, the, the program would present them with. Um, but we've definitely had disagreements over content and things because there's so much gray area. And like I said, everybody's experiences are different and um, identities overlap in ways that make some people's experiences very different than other people's. Um, that there has definitely been, there have definitely been disagreements around those kinds of things, but nothing to the like argumentative point or challenging point um, that you experience at mainstream conferences where I've spoken before, where many of the questions are challenging who you are as an individual with said identities. And how do you resolve those disagreements at AlterCon? So we have a code of conduct, which we have enforced multiple times. Um, if you're not familiar with codes of conduct, uh, they're basically written down guidelines uh, and expectations about how we want people to act in the space. Uh, the code of conduct was really important to us as an organization because, like I said, we we want to center marginalized people. And a lot of these discussions are very sensitive. They're very personal to a lot of people. And for some for some people, it means, you know, uh, hard things like depression and loss of life. So we want to make sure that um, everybody is coming in with the best intentions and treating everybody thoughtfully and and um, listening, you know, to the best of their ability um, about what's going on without making judgments about, you know, where an individual is coming for, from or if they uh, are representative enough of, you know, a certain group and that kind of thing. So we have had issues with jokes that weren't appropriate and uh you know we've had to you know stand up in front of everyone and, and talk about why it was inappropriate and um, apologize for it happening because it's our duty to maintain that safe space um and and i think that a lot of people are surprised that an organization like alterconf has a code of conduct because many people up to this point have kind of believed that if you have a space that's dominated by marginalized people um why would you need a code of conduct? But every everyone makes mistakes and, uh, you know, everybody comes from different cultural experiences and what is um, okay in one setting is not necessarily okay in another. So having the code of conduct uh, helps us kind of dictate um, how those situations will go and how we have those conversations um, and how we resolve them. Would you say that a code of conduct is more helpful to prevent those issues by laying down the expectations, or is it more useful in addressing them when they do happen so that you have something to point to to say, we're enforcing this? So in, it, it really depends on the situation. For some people, uh, reading a code of conduct, and I, I have to tell you for the number of events that I've run, um, and every single one of them has had a code of conduct, and not everyone actually reads the code of conduct and understands what it says, um, for some people, reading through it is enough for them to be more thoughtful in their language and their interactions with other people. For others, um, they're genuine misunderstandings. Um, it's a difference in culture, like I said before, where they didn't realize that something like that would be considered harassment or um, whatever category it would fall into. Um, so then the code of conduct serves for us as a means of being able to point to it and say, no, you know, what just happened was a violation of our code of conduct. Um, and this is how we handle those kinds of things. Or, you know, if somebody is coming to us, you know, we can talk about um, what ways we can resolve the issue, um, what we can do to make them feel safe and comfortable in the environment again. 
since this is a matter of sometimes people coming from different backgrounds and not understanding what constitutes harassment, will the code of conduct need to be adapted for the international locations you're now going to? So the code of conduct itself will remain the same, uh, but the people who enforce the code of conduct uh, will be different. Um, I'll be present at the international ones um, more than likely, but we'll have trained um, different local individuals about what the code of conduct is, how we respond, and we'll be there to help with any conflicts. Because, like I said, uh, American point of view is not the same, you know, as the point of view of everyone else. Our culture is different. Our society is different. Our rules and expectations for each other are different. Some words, you know, some English words even mean different things to different people. So we need to make sure that we're sensitive to that and that um, we're not bringing our American, I don't want to say morals, but our American understanding of social interaction into play when Americans aren't involved in the situation itself. Do you have any particular hopes for your international alter comps that might be unique to those venues? You know, I'm not sure. Um, I'm really excited to see the different kinds of talks um, and the different issues that are brought up. Because like I said, I mean, I've been doing this work full time four or five years and there's something new that I learn every single day. And that's got to be doubly so when it comes to, you know, completely different countries and uh, different historical perspectives and, and understanding of, you know, those those kinds of things. So I'm so I'm interested to see what those cultural and historical differences bring to bear when it comes to um, what their deficiencies are in areas of diversity and inclusivity. You know, their their issues may not be the same that we experience in the U.S. And one of the things I love about AlterConf is that you actually pay your speakers. Not only do you not ask them to come to you, you go to them, but you go to them and you give them money, which is wonderful because... These are experts in their fields who are taking time out of their lives to share that knowledge, and that deserves some sort of a compensation. So few conferences and conventions, including some much larger scale ones that sell their tickets for a lot more money, do not reimburse their speakers. So how is it that AlterConf is able to do that when other events are not? Uh, we make it a priority. Um, it's something that I personally learned when I was speaking at a lot of conferences. Many com conferences uh, don't pay you for your time. They don't cover your travel. Um, they don't even, um, some don't even compensate you for the ticket. Like they make you buy a ticket for a conference that you are speaking at that you are helping sell the tickets for. Um, and I didn't see any rhyme or reason in that, especially as a marginalized person um, coming from a point of view where I'm making less money. Uh, I work for myself. It's not like I can have, you know, my boss, Mr. Moneybanks, give me a giant check that's going to allow me to cover the $2,000 that will be the uh, the airline ticket, the hotel, the food, the taxis, everything involved. Um, so all of that money adds up. Uh, and I really wanted to show people who are speaking in AlterConf, as well as um, our freelancers are all paid too, and they're marginalized people as well, um, that their labor is valuable and that we value it. And that um, going forward, um, it can help give them the perspective of what it means to work and be fairly compensated for that labor. And how does AlterConf keep itself so affordable? I mean, you just said that you don't have a Mr. Moneybags who can back an event like this. So, and of course the tickets are reasonably priced that marginalized groups are able to attend. So what's your secret? 
<laughs> so we work really hard to uh, work with local companies who want to sponsor the event. That gives us the money to provide things like free childcare, captioning, sign language interpreters, inclusive meals, um, being able to provide no-cost tickets for people who need them, um, venue space, making things more accessible if we need to, um, all different kinds of things, as well as paying everyone. So because we put all of those things first, we know uh, before we go into a city exactly how much money we're going to need. If we're going to pay people at least X dollars, um, we need to raise at least Y. So we work really hard to make that happen. Do you find that's easier now that AlterConf has been around for a while and has a reputation? In some places, yes. Um, so there, in, in cities where there is a much larger um, tech company presence, um, and I say tech company specifically because we haven't had much luck getting gaming companies to um, sponsor us, honestly. Um, but uh, cities where there's a large tech company presence, we've had no problem getting sponsorship. San Francisco, um, we hosted in Oakland right across the bay. We had no problem. Portland, Seattle, um, we had no problem raising funds there. But when it came to cities like Detroit, Atlanta, Austin, um, we had a really hard time. And in some cases, we even lost money on the events. And it's it's hard to look at that because the cities where we had a much harder time bringing in money were also the cities where we had far more people of color speaking. Um, they're cities that have a much larger population of color. Um, and it hurts me personally because I... We pay um, each speaker a minimum of $200 US. Um, any, we don't make any profit off our events intentionally. Anything that we have left over, we divide amongst our speakers equally. So everybody gets paid the same amount. But between cities, depending on how much we raise and how much we spend, um, in some cities, speakers get paid far more than in others. So like I said, in those cities where we had far more speakers of color, where there's much larger population of color, we ended up uh, paying those speakers less because we had less sponsorship, um, which is not fair. It's the exact same labor. Um, it's just being done in a different venue. Um, so that's something that I still really struggle with. And I think in the coming year, something that we're going to try doing is finding uh, companies who want to sponsor the full run of talks through the year, or full run of conferences, I'm sorry, through the year, so that we have less of that problem going forward. That's that's a really awful situation. I'm sorry you're having to deal with that. Yeah, I mean it's it's I mean it it hurts my heart personally, but it it impacts our speakers much more, right? For for some people um getting uh paid by AlterComp for their talk means that, you know, they can fly home for a holiday or, you know, they can get caught up on bills or, you know, whatever it is. So that impacts them much more than it does me as an organizer. So my job is to make that situation as fair as possible. And it just means that we have to work harder in 2016. As we mentioned, this is not exclusively a gaming conference, but I would think that nonetheless, the gaming industry would be supportive of an event like this. Do you have any theories as to why the tech industry is more supportive than the gaming industry? I think that it it shows the industry and the community as a whole that this is something that should be supported and something that they're working on actively. Um, where uh, improving diversity internally is a long and hard process, and it's it's really slow to see change. So I think that being able to sponsor something like AlterConf and potentially being able to hire from 
our um, audience set um, is really important to them. Um, I haven't seen the same big push in the gaming industry, um, and maybe that's just starting now. Um, and perhaps that will help. I think that the other part of the issue is that the tech the tech industry is awash in money right now. There's tons and tons of money that they have. Um, so it makes it a little bit easier to um, sponsor an event that's, you know, one-off in a city. They don't worry about it. Uh, where um, gaming companies seem a little bit more aloof because so much is riding on selling, you know, X game that they're working on. Bean, uh, you mentioned the tech industry hiring from the speakers. D- does that happen? Do people like do industries and companies send scouts to AlterConf? I, I don't. I wouldn't say that they send scouts, but they send representatives. So they come and they might speak with attendees about where they work and what they do. Um, and we encourage that. Um, we don't necessarily encourage um, AlterConf. Isn't a career fair. And there are certainly different events that provide things like that. But we wanted it to be as neutral a territory as possible. Um, so people didn't feel like they had to like beat off recruiters. Um, so they, the representatives of the companies are more than welcome. And they actually get tickets um, for sponsoring to attend. They learn something they can maybe go back and um, make their company better with. And they, they might speak with speakers about their perspective and potentially talk to them more about working with them or working with their products. To increase the speaker's exposure, are the talks recorded and posted online? Yep. Uh, you can see all of the videos uh, at alterconf.com slash talks. I wasn't sure how that might jive with the event itself being a safe space because I would not classify the internet as a safe space. You are absolutely right. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you are right. Yes. So um, our uh, all of our videos are posted on YouTube uh, and the voting mechanism as well as the commenting is turned off. Gotcha. But if people watching those videos want to find the speakers, for example, on Twitter, that that contact information can be found pretty easily. Yes. And it's, it's, I, I should mention that it's also up to the speaker whether or not their talk is recorded. We've had very many speakers who've opted not to have their talk recorded either because uh, they worried about um, pushback from their employer or former employers or um, ability to get work in the future or harassment campaigns, unfortunately. Oh, that's great. So it's not a requirement of speaking that they sign a release form, for example. Absolutely. Yeah, not at all. We don't require that um, we're able to take photos of them, that we have any rights to anything. Like everybody who is involved with AlterConf has to give us explicit permission to do anything. Um, Because like I said, we want to make sure that it's a space where they feel comfortable. And that means getting consent for everything that we want to do. So um, none of nobody in the audience can have their picture taken unless they're specifically asked. We do not take pictures of the audience. Um, speakers um, can choose to not have their talks recorded, um, disallow people live tweeting them, um, and not have pictures taken of them. Uh, so we go to you know as many lengths as possible to make sure that we're creating as safe a situation as possible for everyone. When I attended all. I appreciate seeing the closed captioning that was made available in real time for all the talks. Does that mean that the videos are transcribed as well? Uh, That's something that we're working on with our post-production company um, and something that I really want to see because uh, as somebody who's hard of hearing, I can't watch videos without captioning. Um, So that's something that we're also hoping to get taken care of in 2016. Again, that's a struggle that I have with Polygamer 
I want this to be accessible to a wide audience, but the funding isn't always there to hire a transcription service, for example. Yep, exactly. So um, we're lucky that we have um, we have the transcript from the live events, but um, because it happens in real time, mistakes can be made. You know, words can be jumbled or put out of order, or sentences completely missing. So we can't just, unfortunately, copy those transcripts right into the video. We actually have to have somebody go through and do each one to give it justice. Um, and all of our tra- all of our um, captioning is done by an actual human and not by a machine, so they're as accurate as possible. Um, so all of that adds cost. And like I said, it's like right now we're raising money for our um, captioning and our sign language services throughout 2016. Um, but that's something that I really want to tackle this year. You mentioned that it introduces cost to have transcriptions available. Do you ever rely on volunteers? Um, We haven't in the past because um, we want people to be compensated for their labor. That's a really big tenant of ours. Like we've even had freelancers come to us and say like, I'll just do it for you for free. And we say, no, we value this. It's worth, you know, this amount of money to us. So we won't pay you anything less than this. Um, You know, it's really important to us that um, everything is kept above board and it follows um, kind of the values that we had have had from the beginning. Uh, I want to pop the stack a bit and talk more about Diversity 101. You mentioned that almost everybody who comes to AlterConf understands what it is that they're going to be hearing and seeing. Do you recommend that anybody do like any homework before coming to AlterConf to make sure that they're equipped to appreciate what they're going to hear? You know, I haven't in the past, but it's not a bad idea. Um, I personally tell people often to follow people that are different from them on Twitter and just listen. Um, Our entire catalog of talks is available online for free. Um, There are awesome publications like Model View Culture. Uh, that write really in-depth pieces and explain a lot of concepts that may be foreign to other people. Um, So all of those are really great venues to learn a little bit more. Um, But many of our talks um, give you a lot of the vocabulary and the base understanding that even if you're like just starting to, to learn these kinds of things, that you can go home and easily Google them or ask questions. One of the reasons AlterConf goes after Diversity 201 is because there are so many other resources available for Diversity 101. Do you think that after hosting these talks for a few years, you're eventually going to exhaust the Diversity 201 field and have to elevate to 301? You know, um, because we don't require uh, that, uh, that people's talks fit into a 201 framework, we just ask them that it's not a 101 discussion. Um, we have had much more difficult conversations, even more academic conversations at AlterConf. Um, that being said, I don't think we could ever exhaust uh, what what is out there to discuss and um, uh, educating about the nuance and um, context of different situations. And people are talking about such varied things and topics that I I personally can't imagine us ever running out of, you know, um, unique discussions. (laughs) Right, because everybody's experiences are their own and can't be reproduced easily. And not only that, but like their their creative interpretations of things. I mean, we've had documentaries shown at AlterConf. We've had stand-up comedy. We've had spoken poetry. um, We've had 
panel discussions, we've had Q&A, we've had all different kinds of formats that lend themselves to learning things in completely different ways and discussing uh, things in unique and highly relevant ways. Now, see, I don't think there was poetry or documentaries or stand-up comedy at the Boston event I went to, which reminds me, will I ever have the opportunity to attend another AlterConf in Boston? There are so many cities that you need to reach out to. Will you ever start backtracking and doing like AlterConf round two? You know, a lot of people have asked us that and um, going into what will be our, you know, third year as far as like year number goes um, and us still not having run out of cities to go to. I'm not entirely sure. Um, Like I said, I've had a lot of people ask us that. And I think our first priority is making sure that everybody has an opportunity to attend an AlterConf before we start kind of doing a repeat event. Um, I don't know if that means that in the future we'll give people the tool set to be able to organize an AlterConf of their own um, or if we end up coming back around. Um, I'm just one person and I go to almost every single AlterConf. Um, so it's very hard to um, keep adding cities. So we'll see. <laughs> that is an interesting approach, though, that is that if you had like an AlterConf kit and you franchised out. Yeah, I, I, and I've discussed that before and I've thought about it. And the hard things are that when I create an event and when I run an event, there's a certain amount of trust that people give me, whether that's people who know me personally or know of my reputation. Um, they know that if they have an issue, if they have questions, if they need help, that I, I mean, I hope that they know those things, that they can come to me. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the case when it comes to other people running them. How do I how do I vet somebody else running an alter conf? Um, what happens if a, you know, code of conduct violation comes up and um, it's not addressed or, you know, a safety issue. Um, I don't know. I, I think part of it is just a little bit of not wanting to let go of control for fear of someone getting hurt um, and 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 feeling responsible for that. Um, so I'm not quite sure how it would work. No, I, I totally get that because you know what your standards are and how to make sure that the event lives up to it. And when you're not there on site, when you've delegated to somebody else, you're putting a lot of faith out there. Yeah, and I mean, many of the people who are interested um, in having an AlterConf come to their city, and a lot of people offer their help and that kind of thing, have never run an event before. Um, I have... Um, the privilege of having lots of experience. So there are a lot of issues that come up that to me aren't a big deal and they can be easily resolved. But for other people, um, they might make a mistake that I made, you know, five years ago or, you know, two events ago um, that I have since learned from. So the nice thing about the same team going to every single city is that we have that built up experience. Um, you know, we have all the checklists. We um, know, you know, how to react in a certain situation if something goes wrong. Um, so I don't know, it's a lot of stress to think about putting on someone else too. <laughs> At the same time, putting on just one event a year for most people is a lot of work. You're doing it on almost monthly basis. Is this your full-time job? Uh, so I spend about 70% of my time of my like what would be considered like billable hours working on AlterConf and fund club um, and those kinds of like community efforts. Um, so yeah, I mean, and like I said, it's me and it's my like very, very part-time assistant. Um, so be between the two of us, we organize about uh, one conference a month. 
that is a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work, yes. Um, and it's it's kind of a grueling pace. But at the same time, people want more cities. People want us to go more places. Um, and I don't, I, like I said, I'm not quite sure of what an Alderconf post Ash attending every single one could look like to resolve the demand. <laughs> there is only one of you. <laughs> I know. That is, we need the future now. <laughs> So you have been to all the AlterConfs and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. What have you learned from AlterConf? Oh my gosh, what have I learned? Yeah, I've I've learned so much. I mean, we you know we had a, a speaker at New York, which was either our first or second Boston and New York. I never remember which one came first, but. Um, a speaker in New York um, who was Nigerian and he talked about literacy and games and tech in Nigeria. And I think that that was one of the more fascinating talks that I've seen um, because it's, I mean, like I've read about like Nigeria and, and some parts of Nigerian culture and books and stuff before, but I've, I've personally never been to Nigeria and there's not much Nigerian media or many Nigerian people that I'm exposed to on a regular basis. Um, so it was just so interesting to see um, what kinds of games and how, how culture is represented and um, the language that they use. Um, it, it was just so um it was very entertaining. I really loved it. Um, and as somebody who really loves learning and loves history and loves culture, um, it had like everything I wanted in a talk. <laughs> wow, that, that was a fascinating talk. I'm sorry I couldn't have been there for it. Well, luckily for you, the video is online. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I know what I'm doing this weekend. Yep. What about more abstractly? Would you say that AlterConf has made you a better person? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I am always encouraged by the strength of uh the you know the people who attend and the things that they've gone through and what they've channeled you know their frustration and negative experience and pain into you know amazing um text-based games and um resource kits for people to make their lives better the lives around them and um it that uh, I don't think that I've ever worked on a project that makes me feel so warm hearted as AlterConf because it's a space where many people have never been in an industry event where they see people like them, you know, or people that are genuinely interested in who they are as a person and what their identity means to them. And that's so fulfilling. Um, so that alone, I feel like makes me a better person, if not for all of the things that I learn and um, take with me in the way that I talk and the way that I teach and um, the, the, the projects and ideas that um, I lend my voice to and uplift and that kind of thing. Um, it's definitely made me a better person. That is wonderful to hear. And I'm sure that everybody who comes to AlterConf walks away a little bit better, I hope, too. I hope so, too. Yay. So AlterConf is coming to Washington, D.C. on January 30th, 2016, to Minneapolis on April 9th, to Cape Town, South Africa on August 27th, and you are working on other venues, including uh, the Amsterdam, Berlin, Dublin, Boulder, Colorado. That's going to be in early 2016, it says? Yep. And Philadelphia as well? Yep. Mm -hmm. Excellent. London, Melbourne, Mumbai, Montreal, New Orleans, Paris, and Vienna. That is a full docket. Are those all this calendar year? 
Uh, we'd like to. It really depends on um, what we can get with venues and how long it takes to organize events. This is the first year that we've done non-North American events, so we're not sure what issues we may run into or how, you know, if, if some process is going to take us longer than normal. But we are hoping to get through all of these by the end of the year. Wow, 15 destinations in one year, and I'm sure it'll be an iterative process. You will learn from the first international experience and apply that to the other ones. Yep. Wonderful. Wow. So people who are interested in knowing more about AlterConf can go to alterconf.com, and AlterConf is also on Twitter, I believe? Yep, at AlterConf. How intuitive. (laughs) And unless there's anything else you want to talk about with AlterConf, you have another project I want to spend a few minutes talking with you about. Shall we move on? Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, so you have something called the Fund Club, which uh, is sort of a crowdfunding process. Tell, tell us more about it. Yeah, so it's a joint project between myself and Shanley Kane, who runs Model View Culture. Uh, and we wanted a way to divert some of the money that's raised every month um, on Indiegogo and Kickstarter for these projects that are huge blockbusters that always have lots of eyes on them um, to projects and organizations that are run by and for marginalized people in the tech industry. So uh, you sign up on a mailing list. It's very simple. You sign up on a mailing list. Once a month, we send you an email with what our pick for the month is. Um, because we are targeting people who make at least $100,000 a year, um, you go and you give directly to the organiza- organization that we send you $100. Um, and then the process starts all over again. So um, because of that, we were able to raise $54,000 in seven months last year. Wow, that is a lot of money. Yeah, I know. It makes me feel really good because uh, so much, so many awesome programs and uh, and uh, so much awesome work has been able to be done because of the generosity of people um, giving to our fun club projects. Um, so they're able to like meet their goals, you know, much sooner or like do things that, you know, if they didn't have that kind of budget, they would never be able to do. Plus, it has the added bonus of Many more privileged people want to know where they can give their their money. They just don't know where. Or they want to know about these kinds of awesome organizations, but nobody is telling them about them. So we, we're hoping to kind of surface um, all of these cool things that are being done. Um, so the, the hope is that going forward, they're more likely to receive um, funds to further their projects. From looking at the Fun Club's website, which is joinfunclub.com, I didn't get that your target audience were people who make over $100,000 a year. So the $100 a month seemed rather ambitious to me at first. Yeah, um, we... And, and you're certainly welcome to donate to each of our project organizations, um, you know, less than $100. But we ask specifically for our members to donate $100. And part of that is because we want to see that big swell. We really want to move the needle for these organizations where smaller donations um, aren't doing it enough. So after the donation period, which is one week, you have one week to fund uh, the project we release the name and the information of the organization. So if you don't have the $100 to give every month, you can then go and give what you're able to. And you're not actually processing the money. The individuals go to the website of the organization, make the donation, and then send you the receipt? 
so uh, we don't touch any of the money. So they go directly to the website and they give funds. And then we just, uh, when we send you an email, there's a button in the email that basically says I donated and it um, adds, you know, in, into a spreadsheet for us to let us know that you've donated. So it's the honor system. Yep. Uh, at the end of the week, we also match the amount, uh, not the names, just the amount um, with uh, we speak to our contact at the organization. They say, yes, we can confirm we raised X number of dollars. Um, so we go with whatever the final amount um, they say. Um, and then at the end of that funding period, if you haven't donated, you get kicked out of the club. <laughs> so it's really incentivized to keep you donating because we don't want people to say, it's not an organization I care about, not one I'm interested in. Um, so I'm not going to give them money. We are only sending you organizations that are worthy and deserving and are doing awesome things. So we don't want people to be pick and ch- picking and choosing. But what does it mean to be kicked out of the club? I don't see a membership list on the website and there's nothing to stop me from donating to any of these organizations at any time. So what does it mean to be in the club? Uh, it's just... I don't know. I mean, it's it's just being able to say that, you know, you give every month that you do something that um, makes the industry better. Uh, we never advertise um, our, our list of membership or anything. Um, it's just a extra incentive for you to donate. And what is the curation process for selecting these organizations? Who does that? So uh, we have an open process where people can um, apply to have their project funded. Um, We also run a Twitter account called Fund Better Tech, um, where people bubble up organizations, Indiegogo projects, or other fundraising efforts uh, about... organizations that would be a good fit for fun club. And then we basically have a list and we go through um, the list um, once a month. Wow. And it seems to be working because like you said, you've raised a butt ton of money. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it's awesome too, because we've had a, uh, a really wide range of different organizations that we've helped, um, whether it's for mental health in the tech industry or helping trans people get um, education around programming and that kind of thing and help them get jobs um, or things that are um, elevating the work of people of color or helping people not get evicted from their homes in San Francisco or um, raising money in St. Louis um, with Hands Up United. Like we've done a ton of a ton of different kinds of things um, that uh, that kind of shows um, what kind of things we're looking for in our quote unquote portfolio. Do you have any particular hopes for this project other than, of course, to raise even more money? (laughs) Always to raise more money. Um, We've been wanting to hit the $10,000 a month mark for a while. Um, Our last month, uh, which was December, uh, we raised $9,000, which is the most that we've raised in a single month um, in the you know past seven months that we've been operating the program. So our big goal right now is getting to that 10K mark so that we can go to organizations because oftentimes they don't even know that they've been nominated until we send them an email and we say, hey, we've chosen you to receive funding from Fun Club. It takes no work on your side. You just collect money, right? We would love to go to them and say, you can expect that you will um, have at the end of one week at least $10,000. Like, it gives me chills thinking about it. It's just, um, I would love to see that happen sooner than later. It would be a great way to start off 2016. (laughs) Yeah, a $10,000 boost in a single month for the organizations that you're targeting is vastly significant. 
Yep. I mean, many of these organizations are run by a couple people in their free time after work, um, you know, and they are scrimping and saving their own money to make these kinds of things happen. So if we can show that they have community support and that we find value in what they do, um, it's and and elevating their name, it's possible that they'll get um, that they'll get recognition from other organizations that can help provide them the funding that they need in the future. So $10,000 a month is your stretch goal at this time. Yeah, I mean, we're not too far off. Um, we've trended upwards, um, I think, in almost every single one of our um, months previous. So it wouldn't be um, it wouldn't be out of the blue that we would hit $10,000 um, this month. And I believe that our next funding round starts um, in about 10 days. Oh, so it goes from the middle of the calendar month or so? So it's uh, it's like the second or third Monday every single month, and you have one week. So the funding round lasts just one week from Monday through a Sunday night at midnight. And that just allows you to keep the accounting nice and tight as opposed to running all calendar month? Exactly. Plus, I mean, this is um, this is an effort that's run like it's like my third job kind of. So um, to keep it to one week um, – both um, makes um, gives people the additional incentive that like, hey, if I don't give, you know, right away, then I'm gonna be kicked out of the club. Um, so it's on people's minds right away, and they act right away. But also, it doesn't um, start encroaching on all of the other time that I'm dedicating to all of the other work I'm doing. And one last question, you have so much other work that you're doing, including alter confidence, global expansion. What was the inspiration to add another project to your plate? Where did the fun club come from? You know, Shanley and I were just talking about how hard it is for these kinds of organizations to raise money where, you know, if you look at Kickstarter, the things that get, you know, $50,000, $100,000, $200,000 is like, do we really need a smart toothbrush? Okay. <laughs> you know, like we are seeing those kinds of projects get you know, so much funding. And then the organizations that we want to see succeed are struggling to raise a thousand dollars, you know, and it's just, we wanted to go after, um, the people who had the money and who should be doing something good with it. You know, if you can, if you can kick in $200 to a Kickstarter every month, then this is nothing. It's occurred to me that many of the nonprofit donations that this country makes goes to alma maters and universities and museums, which have these endowments in the millions, if not, in some cases, the billions. And it just seems so lopsided that these smaller organizations that are trying to do just as much good get so overlooked. Yeah, well, I mean, they don't have um, they don't have full time fundraisers. They don't have an entire team of fundraisers and marketers. And like I said, a lot of times it's one or two people, um, and they're doing the work themselves and fundraising. You know, so um, making it easier for them to do what's important, um, you know, to further their mission instead of banging on people's doors and asking them for five dollars um, makes a huge difference to what they're able to to achieve. Excellent. Well, you know, because you weren't doing enough good already, I am thrilled that the Fun Club is now a part of your portfolio, even if it <laughs> keeps you up at night. But well, it's—I mean, it doesn't keep me up at night. It just—it makes me happy. It's a very—it's um, a very fun time of month for me that we can, you know, we we can make somebody's year in a week. Um, which, how many other jobs can you say that you can do that? Um, that you can, we have organizations that feed kids and give them books and um, help people from getting kicked out of their homes. Like how many people can say that, you know, they help 
make those things happen. So I'm very, very thankful that I'm able to do the work that I do. So you get your own reward out of it. Oh, absolutely. Wonderful. Ash, thank you so much for giving me the last hour of your time. Could you remind our listeners where to find these variety of projects and yourself online? Yeah, no problem. So uh, my name is Ash, A-S-H-E, Dryden, and you can find me online under Ash Dryden pretty much everywhere. My website, ashdryden.com, Twitter, Ash Dryden. Uh, I run AlterConf, the traveling conference series at alterconf.com, AlterConf on Twitter. And the last project we talked about, Fund Club, is join fund with a D, joinfundclub.com, and fund better tech on Twitter. Wonderful. And there will be links to all those in the show notes. Ash, thanks so much and happy new year. Yeah, you too. Thank you. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. Polygamer.